Hi, this is Tim O'Brien, and you're listening to Bluegrass Jam Along, the podcast for anyone and everyone who loves bluegrass. My guest on Bluegrass Jam Along this week is Tim O'Brien, who I chatted to a while ago when we did the Dot Watson episodes, um, which was which was marvelous. And Tim's got a new record out, which we're going to talk about today. Tim, welcome back. Thank you, Matt. Good to be with you again. Um, congratulations, first off, on a great record. I've been listening to it for a couple of weeks now and absolutely loving it. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. I'm real happy with the songs and excited to get get out and play this music for people. Starting, I mean, I've already started, but yeah. It's uh, it's always, you know, you you make something and you want to show it to everybody and it's so exciting that way. You see how it goes. <laughs> but it's been going it's- well already. Great. And I, I saw the first sort of couple of tracks drop via social media and stuff. And the first was Little Lamb, Little Lamb, and the second was Bear. And I thought, here we go. It's a record full of songs about animals. And there's a fair few songs about animals on there, but it's yeah. not entirely that, is it? Yeah. And um, I believe Bear was sort of the first track that it all started coming together around. I guess that's true. I think I wrote the anchor before all that, but maybe it was three or four months before that. But yeah, I got into right. I think right around the start of twenty twenty two, I was writing Bear, and uh, it took. It was almost done for a couple of months, and then I finally came up. I was having, you know, it's funny. Like there's a line in there about I'd rather drink muddy water and and sleep in a hollow log. I was trying yeah. to work something else in there and it just was unsuccessful. And when I hit on that, I went, Oh, perfect. I'd rather drink water, muddy water and drink, sleep in a hollow log is a perfect way to use the old traditional lines. And it's a really interesting song. Cause I sort of read um, a couple of things about it that you'd said. And, but before I'd read that, I'd listened to it and sort of had a entirely like overlapping, but different picture in my head of what it's about. And it's just, I've listened uh-huh. to it since and you can sort of read it in lots of ways. It's really interesting. But the, the sort of the main gist from what you were talking about when that I read was about um, like the bear is like an animal who feels like the world's left him behind slightly. And he feels slightly like the world's moved on and he hasn't and still yeah. feels like he's, you know, should be relevant and should be listened to and should be there. And, right. and I think, I think that's a fascinating thing in the modern world because as the world gets divided and divisive, like internationally, politically, personally, whatever, I think a big part of that is that people feel a bit left behind and people are angry. No, it's really true. You know, this is the whole success of Donald Trump was he he appealed to people who felt left behind for the last 40 years in the United States. And uh, I suppose the people in, that voted for Brexit maybe had a similar, some of the similar ideas. If you think about yeah. the Taliban, they, you know, I, I feel for them. They, their way of life is antiquated and going away, but they're holding on as long as they can. And they just don't want to give up. And I don't blame them in some ways. And uh, Vladimir Putin's got his story that he that he tells. And, you know, if he believes it, I can understand he believes it. I don't look. Most of the world doesn't look at it that way. But there he is. And the bear, when all his trees are cut down, when he wakes up from his winter nap, is kind of kind of pisses him off, you know. And I think that's really, that's sort of, in a way, a key to this record is that it, it is about, um, it feels to me, I put words into your mouth, but it feels like it is about connection and understanding other people's stories because, like, essentially, everybody has a story. And like you say, if they believe it, that's the way the world is to them. And it's too easy to 
just dismiss people as wrong because they don't and particularly in the social bubble world we live in where you can just surround yourself with people who agree with you I thought it was a really interesting you know so much of the record feels like it it lives in that space somewhere I think that's true and uh the the title track is kind of that way it's like anybody that you see is your neighbor and you can just treat them with basic respect you don't have to like go out of your way to you know do something you wouldn't normally do, but if you want respect from them, you want to, res- you want to respect them as well so that it can be reciprocal and, you know, just basic, uh, manners, politeness, you know, just empathy. I've got a sign in my, uh, don't have it in here. I've got a sign in my yard. It's a political sign that, uh, I saw one day. It says Frank empathy. It's like red, white, and blue. As if it was a name. <laughs> and uh, I wrote, I looked it up online and all it was, it was a website that said frankempathy.com. So I wrote to him and I said, uh, what is this? I really like this sign. And it turns out it's an art project. And they, the sign started showing up around the 20, uh, yeah, 2016 elections, I think. Anyway, I just, I really like that sign. And uh, this kind of reminds me of that, the the idea that you're talking about. Just yeah. Yeah. Uh, respect one another. Try to imagine and, where the place they're in. Yes. And I think it's so important because like, you can, you, the, the old saying goes, you can love anybody if you know their story, but we don't have time to know most people's stories. So we have a no. sort of shorthand for dismissing people if they believe a certain thing or dress a certain way or like a certain kind of music or whatever. We just like dismiss whole swathes of people because we haven't got time to understand them. And so those things that do seek to understand are kind of very moving in some ways. Yeah. Well, you know, in uh, little villages, you know, people know each other and they have to get along, you know, or they're just going to be unhappy every day. Um, They got to tolerate one another and families are that way. Uh, You can't really not be a brother to your brother. (laughs) You know, it's just, it'd be really, it's tragic. So even if you don't agree with them, you kind of got to give them their head and let them, you know, let them exist in their way. And then maybe they'll let you exist too. So yeah, it's, it's about that for sure. And it's funny because listening to, listening to bear, like all of that is in there. Like having heard you talk, you know, sort of talk about what the, the song sort of came from, but I, I sort of heard it as um, almost an ecological message of this bear is a bear. It? Like it's a bear and he doesn't, he's, you know, he's not interested in what we think he is but we expect him to behave in a certain way because we've decided he's a bear and that's his place in the world. And it's right. sort of the same thing, I guess. It is the same thing. And, uh, and the, the natural world is, uh, those are our neighbors. Every, every uh, plant and animal is a neighbor too. And they're, they're of value, even if we don't even know it. Uh, uh, Ola Bell Reed had the motto. She said, we all need each other, whether we know it or not. And I really believe that. And, uh, she just said, you know, you don't know what people are going through, but you need to help them if you can, because they probably will help you later on. And uh, like with the natural world, you're absolutely right. It's, we disregard it, and it's uh, it's brought us this far. We need to protect it. Yeah, and it's that thing of just kind of 
just presuming that because we've decided this is what the bear's place in the world is that he you know he's gonna have read the same books we've had and come to the same conclusion and you know from his point of view we're the ones in the way and encroaching on his habitat and yeah and all of that and it just found it really deep and really sort of like every time i go back to it there's another sort of layer of something in there and um I yeah, I like, like that. I, I like the song because of that, because it, it does go in a different direction. It, and also doesn't specify. It lets your mind wander. I almost didn't want to say all that stuff in the promotional materials, you know, to let people figure it out. A lot of people are saying this is, you know, written from the novel, The Bear Goes Home. And it's that's only one aspect of it. But, uh, you know, I was reading about dancing bears and uh, how they taught them. They, you know, they heat the floor, they heat tiles on the floor and uh, play music. And uh, that's their signal to that the floor is going to get hot. And then they remember that. And it's very cruel. Mm. I didn't get that in a song. That's where the muddy water and uh, hollow log came in. It replaced all that. I couldn't explain it. So it kind of goes away, but it's for it really without all that in there. Anyways, just the process of writing. Um uh, it's and, uh, this- and and putting a bear, making the character a bear, takes it out of it. It's, it sneaks up on you because it could be about <laughs> any kind of person uh, who thinks like this bear. Well, I was going to ask about this later, but there's there's a there's a thing from I read from when he walked on came out, um, and this this is a quote from something you said at the time. When you sing something, it kind of sneaks in, and the music is a powerful medium. It's a language that's mysterious on its own. It tugs on the emotions. It grabs people's attention in a certain way and prepares them to hear things. And music kind of draws people together. And I think that's really true. Like, instead of telling somebody something, you just sort of show it to them and let them work it out. Yeah, if you can show it. And that's the game, That's the aim I try with the songs is uh, instead of saying, this is how I feel or this is the way you should be or we should be, it just sort of show the problem, you know, show the story, tell the story and let people make their own conclusions for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just, uh, I'm lucky every once in a while when stuff works out that way. I mean, but I, like I say, I think I'm, I'm, I'm getting better at aiming, hit, aiming at the target and getting closer to the bullseye now and again. I just kind of keep trying. I think that's, well, that that's sort of like, um, that you know sort of ties in with the idea of some of the there's a, there's a song on the last record called he walked on which is just sort of about keeping going and yeah you know and and that thing of journeys and process and you get to places on the way and stuff happens but it's the I, i've been thinking about this a lot this week actually just the the idea that maybe the art is actually the process and the stuff that comes out the other end is just the byproduct because yeah it's that it's, turning yeah, up every day you know yeah, no, the process is really, uh, at least at least as much as anything else. And then when you're done with it, yeah, like it's up to everyone else. That's their time to reflect on it. And um, any kind of if somebody like if somebody says I took this from the song, I go, great. I I didn't. I might have not even thought of that, and uh, it makes me happy. As opposed to no, it's not about that. You know, so I don't. I don't yeah. really. I don't need to. I don't need to own it once it's out. Uh, I mean, I own it, and yet it's really for everyone else to use. And it's sort of the presumption that any of us really know what we mean at any given time anyway. You know, I, I can say stuff all the time and think this is what I 
believe, but you sort of go back and then think about it a bit more and go, oh, maybe I don't, I don't know, I'm not sure. You and, know, the writing um, is a way of kind of organizing your thoughts too. And uh, sometimes you don't realize what you're, what you want to express until you've worked on the song. Because sometimes it'll, it'll, you'll stop and say, gee, that's, that's not the right way to approach this. It's not fair or it's not clear. You really learn kind of what you're about. And uh, it's when you start, you don't really know what you're about. And you do learn. But I was just going to say that the music and the lyric, they're kind of part of a structure and they kind of lean on each other. They don't need as much strength when they bond. There's some kind of lightweight kind of, if you keep a little space in it, it's kind of really strong, but there's a lot of room for other stuff to fall in there. And, uh, but you don't have to necessarily be so specific. And so it doesn't have to be, it doesn't really need much. It's just a little suggestion. And the sort of musical thing is like, uh, I don't know, that's like trees growing and, you know, the sun shining or, you know, it's like natural stuff. It's like, it's mysterious and not, uh, there's no real definition about it. You hear it and you know it, but it's kind of, uh, it's an invitation into the thought world, you know, internal world or something. It's, uh, it, it really helps the lyrics. <laughs> and the lyrics help the music. The music might not be very good either sometimes, but the, just a little bit of lyric will will uh, make it strong. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very true, actually. I sort of thought about it in those terms, but just like it constantly amazes me how many tunes I hear in a major key with three or four chords and the same notes, And but, but people are still writing tunes that are entirely memorable, and often it's the words that make the tune memorable in a weird way yes. or the tune that yeah. makes the words memorable or yeah i uh the last month or so um so i'm doing a thing that i've been wanting to do for a long time as uh the songwriter tom paxton they're making a uh a bluegrass uh, tom paxton songs done with bluegrass arrangements and uh Tom and I always wanted to write together. So we've written three songs and we recorded one of them. And uh, I kind of, I haven't asked him this because once we, we do it by Zoom and once we start, it's like all business. And we and within an hour, we have most of a song, if not all of it. And uh, he's such a master and so experienced at it. And uh, I kind of wonder why he wants to do all that. But it's what he does. And I think he really believes in the communication, uh, the possibilities of it, even though he may not be alive when he hears this stuff, when it comes out, rather. Um, he may hear it after he's dead, I don't know. But uh, you know what I mean? He's uh, He just is driven to create, and uh, it excites him to get something good. And uh, maybe that's, you know, as you get older, that's more important than, all, than almost anything, is that you leave something behind, I don't know. I just wanted to throw that out just because I think he, I have to ask him his intention of, you know, what it is that makes him write songs that way. He's a brilliant guy at writing topical songs. If you have a, you know, a political thing or something, 
Um, but he also, we wrote a real straight up kind of almost like a real gospel song called You Took Me In. And uh, it's great. It's great to see him excited, you know, and it makes me excited that he likes the song. So we got something good. That's cool. Uh, so I was going to, well, it sort of leads in a little bit to something I was going to chat to you about because it feels like this record, um, Cup of Sugar, and the last record he walked on, they sort of feel quite connected to me. Um, as I listen to them together and it feels like and obviously he walked on was you know sort of centered around like social justice I guess is the phrase but a lot of the songs had those themes and the time the record was written and released and it feels like Cup of Sugar is very much like a response to that record almost it feels like it's slightly more hopeful and slightly more it's been through the mill of those songs and kind of got its head a little bit I think that's right. I think uh, there's a relief in getting through the pandemic, but also uh, those times are so heavy. Um, They're still heavy, but we need a little break from it. We need to, and I think, you know, that cup of sugar is a good title because it's here's, here's all this bitterness that we have. Here's a little something to temper it with, you know, there's still a little bit of social justice in here, but um, it's whimsical, I hope. And, uh, yeah, the saddest song really is the one that Jan and I wrote um, called "He He Can't" or "She Can't He Won't," and uh, the rest of the stuff is kind of mostly kind of whimsical. I mean, the bear is pissed off, but uh, most of the songs are pretty whimsical. It's interesting. There, there's some pretty sort of like heavy themes, but held quite lightly, and not yeah. sort of they're not they're not wielded like a club. They're you know they're well. That's good news. They leave, they leave room for you to sort of think. And it's, I love that kind of songwriting. And I think it often happens with a sort of song that has a story from somebody else's perspective in it. Um, Steve Earle does yeah. those so yeah. well. That just sort of goes, here's somebody, somebody, it's not my story, here's a story. Yeah. You know, and just go and, go and live over there for five minutes and see how it makes you feel and then come back again. Yeah. yeah. The story about the dog, you know, this... Uh, dog that inherited all this money um that was really a crack up to me and uh but it was like so obvious that there was a song there when especially when i when i read that the dog's name was lulu you know and i went oh there's ralph stanley has shout lulu let's or lulu shot or whatever he calls it it's like a banjo tune that he learned from his mother you know now i don't know what that song's about really but a few of the lyrics made it into there um you know, how many nickels does it take to make little Lulu's body shake? That's right from Ralph Stanley singing it. And, uh, but it's like the context around here in Nashville is really tangible because of the statue that was along the interstate of this white supremacist Civil War guy. And right in my neighborhood is the guy who made the sculpture. The sculpture, he was uh, this lawyer, um, white supremacist lawyer that defended the assassin of Martin Luther King. And when he died, I found out he lived lived in my neighborhood. And I asked my barber, he said, oh, that guy used to come in here all the time and get his hair cut. Nice guy. <laughs> so it's like, I just like the fact that it's just right in front of me. And uh, I can relate to where the guy lived and where he'd walked. And then his friend who gave him land to put up the statue. And then the dog who knows nothing about it really, except that give me a treat. And, uh, oh, now I need to be. <laughs> I just think yeah. it's, 
you know, that's a story. It's just like too funny to not let, not be told. And there's a much more, like you could, there's a very kind of um, sort of worthy and serious version of that, that song you could have written instead, you know, this, this idea and that word whimsical. Um, it's sort of, uh, I think that lightness allows the depth, if that makes sense. It allows that so. to come through, you know. Yeah, I hope so. Um, you know, playing, it's a real cottage industry around here. Um, Jan and I are working in the office and doing the release ourselves and we contract out publicity and radio promotion and that kind of stuff, but we're kind of doing most of the stuff you're here and, uh, making original art for the thing for the last record. And this record was uh, kind of part of that too. It just seemed easier. It seemed more honest and kind of, you know, we're kind of, you know, we're not retiring, but we're slowing down and, uh, it's kind of makes sense to kind of shrink it a little bit. And in some ways it's made it better, more personal. Danny Barnes is one of my good buddies and a great musician and songwriter. And I showed him what I was painting for, uh, he walked on, he said, Oh, that is so good. That's so much better than anything anyone else could do. And it's just, be, you know, that's what he does. He writes, he makes his own art, but it's like, just getting that endorsement really gave me the faith that it maybe would work. And I think it is, it does feel good to do that. I'm not that good at it. And I, and I, I worked hard and I don't get, I don't get into it until I have a project to do. So it's kind of funny. I should be practicing every day. Like I, you know, used to practice the mandolin and the guitar, but uh, it is a little I bit like, more personal. Yeah. And it becomes, if you practice every day, it becomes a different thing, you know, you could spend yeah. 364 days a year making a great album cover and then record a load of tunes really quickly. Yeah, <laughs> it wouldn't be the right. same thing. Right. It's interesting that sort of that, that, you know, talking about doing all um, at home, like a cottage industry, there's something very similar over here with Kate Rusby and the way that they set up their yeah. family record label and, you know, her parents are involved and her sister's involved and her brother's involved. And, yeah. you know, Kate yeah. Rusby is a family industry. And there's, yeah, something, really. there's something just lovely about that, something very down to earth. And it, particularly at the time where, you know, her career started and the world was becoming more digital and that felt like it was really old fashioned. It feels yeah, they were more... really, they were really renegade, uh, the Rusby family. And, uh, they didn't even realize how smart they were until it was all really working beautifully. And, uh, I'm, I'm sure it's still going that way. I haven't seen Kate in a long time, but that's a real good example of that. Just how much control over what she puts out. She's able to, exercise yes yes yeah she's uh, well they're also kind of going i remember when they had the, i don't know if you, you remember the group the equation mm. she was in that briefly uh but she left she and Catherine roberts and the two two of the lakeman brothers or maybe it was all three of the lakeman brothers seth sean and sam maybe the five of them but she quit the group and uh they had put out the Kate and Catherine record. And, you know, they got this cover with the two beautiful young girls, you women, uh, you know, with bare shoulders. And that's, you just see their skin from here up and you go, wow, this is, what's this? And then you listen to it and it's like really old style folk music. And it's like, uh, it's really brilliant, a brilliant hook, you know, they lure you in and then you go, oh yeah, this is really pure and beautiful. And, uh, 
the Kate and Kate's case, she just kept doing that kind of thing. Yeah, and it's um, I think sort of listening to these songs on this record, and there is there's something that feels very um, and I guess this is something that I've felt through your music for years, but there's something very immediate about it in that sense of you know we we're just talking about Kate presenting her stuff direct herself without going through a load of filters and I've always sort of felt that about your your delivery both vocally and instrumentally that it's just like kind of I'm a bit unadorned is maybe not the right word for it but there's a and we talked about this with the Doc Watson stuff a while ago but just it's a very direct very immediate hmm. expression of of something that doesn't try to to do anything other than communicate yeah and I think it's that it's very appealing hmm. That's the real aim with the music and with a show is that we get to communicate with one another, the audience to the performer and back. It gives people a chance to stop the chaos or the, the noise in their life and sit down and you know let music intervene for a minute. And uh, there's never really not much that you need to do after that you just get everybody together and they trust each other and then you just can see what happens you know and you a performer has to be prepared to have a few options to in case things are going to go sideways but uh basically everybody's on your side when you start and you just try to be friends <laughs> so i don't know it's uh i'm sure it's you know it seems very simple to me I, you know I would think any almost anybody would try to be direct, but uh, some people are putting on a, a show, more of a show. Uh, they play a part. They play a. They they have a uh, a sort of invented personality, maybe, hmm. and uh, that can go that can work for a while. But uh, I've never. Well, I did. I did have a personality with red knuckles for sure, and just turned into a different person. But uh, that person was really me too, and uh, I don't know. It's hard to explain, but yeah, when when I quit quit playing with Hot Rise, I kind of wanted. I decided I didn't want to be two different people anymore, and I didn't. I wanted to, you know, I didn't want to have to bring different clothes that I wouldn't wear, you know, normally, the regular part of the day. That kind of thing. I st tried to make make my life just sort of, you know, seamless and uh, not seamless, but simpler. And maybe that's an outgrowth. You know, what you're talking about is an outgrowth of that desire, and that approach. And did, that's interesting. Did did the music change in any way after that in terms of the way you wrote? Did did that sort of feel like it, it reconciled it anything? Or it did change, I suppose, in that there was no uh, structure on it necessarily. It was all just about what I felt like I could pull off. And uh, I was always trying to write better songs. Coming to Nashville uh, in the late late years of Hot Rise and co-writing with people and hearing what other people were doing, it gets you up on your game. You know, you see what the competition is. And so the other thing is I was not writing for a bluegrass band and uh 
you know, bluegrass, even in, even within bluegrass, you have a hot rice had a certain thing that we wanted to do that we were good at. And you, there were certain, certain other things that we, you know, couldn't do. And we were smart not to try it. And, uh, the stuff that Bela Fleck does, you know, uh, that, that we were never going to play that way. And, uh, so, but even so it, just being in bluegrass that there is a little bit more borders and little strictures and rules and things. Hmm. So it changed a little bit that way. And it's interesting because I've seen you play lots of times, I guess, over the years in lots of different settings, but it always feels like the same thing. And so I've seen you, I think the first time I saw you was at Cambridge Folk Festival in 1995, I think. Right. Yeah, um, and that was with like with the O Boys. I've seen, I saw the Crossing tour where you had yeah. a whole bunch of people with you. I've seen you play on your own. I've seen you sort of do songs with the Transatlantic Sessions tour, and mm-hmm. so they're, they're all very, very different sort of musical settings. But yeah. it's all all feels like Tim O'Brien. Well, that's good. That's uh, that's a great compliment. Uh, you know that you know what? Uh, I don't know if I said this in our last interview, but Thelonious Monkey has rules for musicians, and one of them is. Uh, the genius is the one who sounds the most like himself. I thought that was wonderful. I've got it. I'll let that go. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just about getting to, you know, who you are and what you can do, what you can't do. And, you know, expressing yourself cleanly. I find that uh, older musicians get more concise and maybe the songwriters do too. I don't know. Um, David Grisman, if you listen to his music, uh, the early quintet, you know, recordings, and then you listen to more recent ones, he still plays the same way and you can still tell it's David Grisman, but he's trimmed away a lot of unnecessary stuff It's because he's older. It's harder to do all that stuff, but also he knows he doesn't need it, you know? you kind of get down to the real essence of things and then it's much easier to just go at it. You know, you can get the job done with fewer swings of the hammer. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And so talking about those like variety musical settings that I've seen you in, they just listen to this record as well. There's such a, a sort of breadth of instrumentation on it. And some of it is, you know, there's, there's um, Let the Horses Run, which is pretty much straight up bluegrass, but there's stuff with yeah. Hammond Organ, there's stuff with Pedal Steel, there's some great fiddle playing on the record. There's, there's, you know, each track is its own little sort of sonic world in a way. Um, yeah. And I love that about it. It sort of takes you on a little a little journey. Yeah, good. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I, uh, I one of my uh, troubles or, you know, uh, a downside to that, that eclecticism, you know, it's people don't think they feel it's jarring, but I try to make it somehow flow. I hope it's not too jarring. I think I'm better at it than I used to be. So I don't know, but I also, the audience is kind of used to it now. The ones that have been following, they're kind of used to this <laughs> and they like yeah. the same kind of, I mean, most of the people that I know like country music, they like bluegrass, you know, they like blues. They like, you know, the, the real things, the real roots forms. And uh, it's not as a pro- much of a problem. And, you know, I hear that stuff and I hear jazz and Bill Monroe and I hear rock and roll and uh, Bill Monroe and, you know, all that. So it's, 
it's just a matter of uh, accentuating this and that. And the keyboard thing is, I love it. I love playing with that guy, Mike Rojas. He's just fantastic. Just really sympathetic. He's so good that you don't have to give him any direction. He just, and all the, all the players are that way. They just, uh, they just know what you're after. And that's the thing. You, if you know what you're doing and you can put it together, I always try to get the songs to where I can play them in pretty good rhythmic tempo, uh, you know, the same tempo, keep the tempo and get the right key and to where I really know the lyrics. Whereas um, it's not like muscle memory. You get enough of that so that you're presenting something that everybody can fold in around. Whereas if you're learning it as you go, uh, there's less for them to understand. So, yeah, that's the pre-production, getting comfortable with the songs. It's interesting talking about that, about instrumentation. And you sort of talked earlier about, about stopping playing with Hot Rise and sort of being freed from that rule of the rules of writing for that ensemble. And, and I guess it overlaps a bit with what we've been talking about. And the, the idea of genre in music is something that is there to, it doesn't really help anybody listen to the music or it doesn't really help the music. It's just there to, you know, make things convenient. And it's, yeah. you, you, people do get very, um, divided about music about you know this is good music that is bad music this is right this is that and it's back to what we were talking about at the beginning really with all that you know politics is the same if somebody votes a certain way i feel entirely justified in dismissing everything they think even though probably 90 percent of what they think is the same as what i think and 99 percent of their dna is the same as my dna and you know yeah. like like probably 85 percent of our dna is the same as the bear's dna and we look yeah. for differences rather than similarities you know mm-hmm. yeah no, it's, that's really true. Uh, I, uh, I'm trying to battle against that as well. <laughs> you know, I think it's really important to notice your differences, but also the similarities. That's all. It's just trying to be round. It's like, uh, you know, holistic. <laughs> I think that's found, um, like so moving about this record because although there is quite a bit of whimsy to it um it also it it most of the songs feel like they're about connection even if it's when people aren't connecting like she can't he won't you know even when Mm. there's a lack of connection um there's always that desire for things to be okay and a little bit of hope and a little bit of like little lamb, you know, just this sort of standing on your toes when spring comes along and just breathing in and feeling the world come alive again and Yes, it's a very. It feels like a very up record, and I. It, this might just be me. I might be a bit odd, but I tend to get much more moved by art that has hope in it than art that is. I love a sad song. Don't get me wrong, but I tend to get more moved by something that yeah. gives me hope. Well, good, good. That's. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad it worked for you. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm trying to entertain a little bit and uh, express myself, but. Um, like I say, whatever anybody else gets out of it is great, and I just, uh, I just hope that it works. And it's, you know, I'm glad you hear it that way. No, it's really cool, and this, and it feels, you know, I said before that it's a bit of a companion piece to He Walked On, which was a, a slightly different record. But there's, uh, there's one, there's this song He Walked On, which is sort of just about um, 
however bad things are, just keeping going and you put one foot in front of the other and you keep, and I, as I listened to it, it reminded me very much of Walk Beside Me from Real Time, the record you did with Daryl Scott about putting one foot in front of the other. Like it's, there's, there's you don't know where you're going, but you'll get there. And uh, it's the yeah. same feeling that the guy, it, the guy that's a grave digger, you know, in that one song uh, pays a lot better too. He's been through enough of it to, to realize, hey, whatever happens, we're still alive. You know, I woke up today. Actually, Daryl and I went, we were playing at a festival and we came, we were going to the airport on Sunday morning and there was this guy making oyster, cooking, oyster, frying oysters in this little restaurant there in the airport. And I asked him how he's doing. How am I doing? I'm doing great. I woke up today. You know, that's the attitude. Um, whatever else happens, we're alive and we're taking nourishment, you know? I like yeah. that. And after a few years of some of that feeling like it was slightly more in question, you know, mm -hmm. just coming out, I mean, there is that, that sort of springtime reawakening thing in the air at the moment where things were dark and things were, the world felt small for a while and all of a sudden yeah, this, the world feels big again. Kind of a, a little bit of a springtime from the pandemic in it right now. It's like uh, the spring, like 2021, they tried to reopen and it was kind of iffy. Uh, 2022, same. And this year it seems like it really is back opened. And uh, so maybe it is kind of the spring of the pandemic, uh, winter, finally. <laughs> did you manage to tour much for He Walked On? Did you manage to get out and play for that record? Yeah, we did. But uh, the year that it came out was iffy. Um, so we're kind of touring, you know, nine months and a year after the fact. And that that's tough with the, with the press and everybody. You know, you, they're not going to write about it again. So, But it worked out. Uh, but it was... Uh, it was a lot slower. And presumably you said at the beginning, you've got stuff lined up for this record already got a tour plan for that. Yeah, I've got, quite, I've got quite busy summer and, uh, it'll be great. Uh, a lot of shows with the band and, uh, we're actually getting to Prague and to La Roche festival this summer in August, which will be great. Never been to Prague. So got some new things on the, on this calendar, which are exciting. Cool. Any chance we're going to get you back over here in the UK at some time soon? We're, Jan and I are coming in January and uh, we have a, like eight shows or something leading up to Celtic Connections. Oh, great. I'm not sure what we'll do there, but I think we're going to be playing there. Yeah. Thanks. It's always a good time over here. I wish I would get in there sooner. It's kind of hard to tour the, you know, service the entire world. I mean, like, but I uh, will, uh, <laughs> We'll get there. But I guess the orders from the distributor in advance are pretty strong. So obviously that's good. And uh, so maybe that'll help when we finally come and play. People will remember the record. Yeah, yeah. Well, best of luck with it. I hope so. It's a, it's a great record. I'm enjoying it immensely. Thank you very much. It's great to talk to you again, Tim. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for uh, bearing with me. <laughs> Take care of yourself. <laughs> Bluegrass Jamalong is proud to be sponsored by Collings Guitars and Mandolins, making some of the finest guitars and mandolins in the world since the 1970s. Visit collingsguitars.com and find out why.